Welcome back. Turn with me, if you would, to John 14, verse 1. John 14, verse 1, on this first Sunday of Advent. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, his apprentices, says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is telling us something here, telling us his first disciples, but we know as we read through the book of John that by extension, telling all those disciples, all those followers of the path of Jesus that were to come, he's telling them something about where they fit, about where we fit, about where home is, or or you could say like where we truly belong. I don't know if there is a place in your life or a moment in your life like whether it's a physical space or just like a a memory where where you feel like you, you, even for a moment, you just fit. Like everything was just sort of right. I've talked about this, I know before, and I always hesitate to, to share, you know, too much about like my, my relationship with Corey, with my wife. Um, I know, especially around this time of year, you know, hearing someone else talk about wonderful moments in their relationship can just trigger a lot of pain for others. Um, but I want to be honest and real about my story. And, and the one that always comes up when I think about passages like this, when I think about home and fitting, uh, is when I first met my wife. Just um, six months ago, we were celebrating our anniversary and we were out to dinner, and for some reason we got on this conversation about like past relationships, and uh, and I just start sharing, you know, I, some of the stories that she had heard before, but some of them she hadn't of just the goofiness and the craziness and silliness and wreckage even of like some of my dating history, and um, <laughs> uh, we were just laughing about just like oh what like difficult period of time that just is. And Corey then, it pivots to Corey, and, and she's just, I tend to kind of be an overshare. She not so much, but here we are well into this night. And she starts sharing in a sort of peculiar way about this one relationship. And it was this person that she had started seeing while she was an undergrad in college. And there's a bit of an age gap and they were she was interning with this person and the relationship really started to blossom, but there was a lot of this kind of uncertainty in her heart and uncertainty in her and his and a lot of question marks about whether this was like a good thing. Something about the way she was telling it felt just unfamiliar enough that I grabbed my chair, pull it towards her, like, like extra close on the table and like truly leaned in to hear more. I'm like, how have you never told me this story? And she just went from like serious to absolute, like just, just, um, 
hilarity, just broke down laughing. And she looked at me like, are you serious? And I'm like caught off guard for just a second. And she's like, I'm talking about you. I don't know why. <laughs> Obviously, I know this story. Obviously, I'm the gentleman in this story. But just completely missed it. So as we just like, just tear into laughter, you know, just being all of a sudden that obnoxious couple in the corner where everyone's trying to have a nice quiet dinner. I had this feeling all over again as we retold stories and about some of the goofiness of our story of meeting each other. Like, oh, this is, you know, this is like, this is where I fit. Like I was reminded again of all of the ways that that Corey and I kind of like locked together. And so I was thinking about this story as I was reading this passage where Jesus is honestly giving us a glimpse of hope. And hope is always like the theme of the first week of Advent in this season of, of expectation of God becoming flesh at Christmas. And, and the context of this passage here is this long dinner where Jesus reminds his apprentices what he has been telling them for a while now, saying, look, I'm going. I'm going to be leaving soon. He's anticipating colliding uh, with all the powers that be that want to do away with him, with uh, his father's will of going to the cross. He's going to offer up his life. And so these followers... um, this is not, we talk about this all the time, right? They, they did not expect this. This is not how they wanted the story to go, how they hoped the story to go, how they understood the scriptures. This was not how it was gonna go. They are scared. You could, you could argue they're agitated. And the word here that Jesus used is, is troubled. He sees that they're troubled. That all of their... Uh, expectation about how this was all going to go and about their connection and relationship and friendship with this rabbi, some of which the lights are beginning to come on that he is God in flesh and others not so much yet. They're, they're, they're deeply troubled by the content of this dinner and by the reflection back on everything that he had taught them. And Jesus basically just turns to them and says, look, don't be that way. Don't. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Implying that they have a choice. They have a way in which they can see all of this and understand reality. You could let your heart be troubled or you cannot. And so in an effort to encourage them, he says, look, believe in me. And then he immediately begins talking about home. Now, believe in me here, the idea here is simply trust me. Trust me. Trust me like you trust God the Father because what you are seeing is God the Father in the flesh. And then he begins to talk about home. It's like, I want you to find courage right here in the midst of trouble. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want you to zero in on that phrase, to prepare a place. I am preparing a place for you in this house. One of the defining characteristics of this house that Jesus is talking about is that there are many rooms. There are plenty of rooms. Now, let me be really clear. There's so much that we do not know, like for sure about this passage. 
Um, but, but this uh, larger image of what heaven is going to be, of what life in the age to come, which is how uh, the Jewish people would talk about heaven, the life of heaven now that continues on into eternity, this place of like rest, of shalom. There's all these different contours to this picture of this house and this home that Jesus is preparing for them. But what we know is there, there, there are plenty of rooms, plenty of rooms, and he encourages them by basically saying, uh, you're not home. This is the very clear subtext here. You are not home, but you will be soon. Or maybe another way to say it is, we don't totally fit here, but there is a place where you fit. In the midst of this present time, in this present trouble, in this present situation, on this side of eternity, on this side of the, the dim and, and uh, cloudy glass that Paul describes, on this side, you don't fit, but there is a place where you fit. I think that's why we're never really you know, kind of fully satisfied. Like we rarely are fully content. And we actually do have a brief moment where we're fully, like where there's some sort of fully realized contentment. It's usually met with the acknowledgement fairly quickly that this moment will not actually last. There is this illusion that we can arrive. It's this constant, um, slightly unsatisfying existence in our bones. It's as if we were made for something else, for something more. And Jesus is telling his people, his crew, that when trouble settles in, he's saying, I want to remind you that I'm preparing your room. It's clearly meant to ease their trouble and it's supposed to bring them hope. It's like you need this hope because you don't quite fit. You were not meant to live with this disconnection from the Father. You were, you were not meant to live with this ache, with this pain, with these tears, with this death. I think it's kind of amazing how your focus changes when you recognize that you don't fit somewhere. Like when you can say, I'm going through stuff because I, I, I don't fit. Your focus just begins to immediately move beyond it. Throughout scriptures, you've got these sort of wanderers. Some of the key, you know, legends of the faith, Abraham and Moses, wandering is like a part of the game. And then, you, of course, you have Jesus himself saying, I have nowhere to lay my head. It's like you're, you're not fully home. This world is both like familiar and there are pieces of it that we know are not. First Peter 2, we read like, friends, uh, this world, he says, is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Like, don't, don't, don't make yourselves overly settled in it. You were made for something more. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, and uh, the transliteration, the message, I just want to read it here for a moment. So here's what I want you to do, Paul writing to the church in Rome. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit 
into it without even thinking. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. It's like the priorities of my life cannot be defined by our world. I will not get cozy in it because I do not belong in that space, in the priorities and in the wreckage of things that are outside of the way the world was actually meant to be. Where do you fit? Like, Don't let the priorities and troubles of this world try to make you think that you can fit somewhere that you can't. And so there is uh, this hope that is, that is home. Turn, turn back with me, if you would, to John 14. I want you to notice two lines here. The first, I will come back and take you to be with me. I'm going to come back and make my home with you. And just looking through this text again, and maybe for some of you this is a really familiar passage of Scripture, do you notice how the Father's house and the Father's heart are like functionally the same thing? It's like you think the text should read, I'm going to come back and take you home. And what Jesus actually says is, I'm going to come back and make my home with you. Which, by the way, sounds a lot like the very end of the scriptures. In Revelation 21, this is the picture of the end that we put our hope in. God will make his home with us. This is the image of heaven. It has always been God coming to this place. God always wanting to come to this place. God having come will ultimately come and make everything new. All of the language of like the end and of heaven, all of it, the reconciliation of all things, the restoration of all things, God making all things new. God taking this good world that has been so marred because God is a God of love and allows for choice and choice means there will be carnage and death. People will choose the other way. He will come and do the ultimate thing that we've joined him in now, but he will ultimately do at the end, which is making everything new, putting everything back together, putting everything in its right place. This language from Jesus to his disciples mirrors Revelation 21. God will make his home with us. Look, one translation says, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and with women. Maybe one way to say it is the father's heart has plenty of room. Because the father's heart and the father's house seem to be kind of intermingled here. And so uh, just as to collect, connect some theological dots for you here, right? If... If, if the image of heaven is heaven coming to earth, this is why we pray right in the middle of the Lord's prayer and the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray is to pray on earth as it is in heaven. We know that heaven in some mysterious way with the announcement of, of, of Jesus being king of the cross and the resurrection, heaven has begun now. And that every time we partner with him and every time we join with him in the work of renewal and restoration and making apprentices, all of that, we are actually living the life of heaven now. 
And there is this connection between the, the, the heaven that we see off in the distance, the ultimate hope, that hope that we can have now, and the Father's heart, where there is plenty of room and there is this invitation to come home, an invitation to home. One of the most compelling aspects, honestly, of the way of Jesus, of Christianity, is invitation. Like a true invitation extended to all people. Like one does not have to be born into the right family or able to make like all of the appropriate accommodations. Like the invitation extends to everyone for this life, for the life of the ages by the creator of the world. And so I want you to imagine just a space where there is plenty of room. Where you, you don't feel pushed out. A place where there is room for everyone who wants to be there. This is the foundation of our hope. Hope in our world, you know, seems to kind of ebb. Like it's either it's either at an all-time high, or hopes at an all-time low, based on very visible, plausible outcomes, which honestly makes so much sense. But it's just not the way of Jesus, and I don't think it's the way of actually one single human heart that hasn't become grizzled and salty and calloused. I, I, don't get me wrong, I understand like um, the idea uh, or the foolishness around the idea of Christian hope. I mean, it's been written about for centuries. Uh, the Roman philosopher Seneca once said, most men ebb and flow in wretchedness between the fear of death and the hardships of life. They're unwilling to live and yet do not know how to die. Or Camus' like classic, he who despairs of the human condition is a coward but he who has a hope for it is a fool. It's just like, you can't remember with either of these folks. And I mean, look around, we know this to be true. And yet I would say the resting condition of the uncalloused, ungrizzled human heart is hope. And specifically is Christian hope. Christian hope involves the confident expectation that all will be well, that every tear will be wiped away. It is trusting and anticipating that reality. Former President uh, Barack Obama used to talk about how Christian hope is audacious. Like it carries with it this idea of trusting an outcome or a reality against all prevailing Wisdom. In other words, when you think that this is all there is, when you don't trust a God who loves you, who has made a place for you, who knows where you fit, who extends like the invitation to come home again and again, despair and fear and apathy, they lie just below the surface. And so during Advent, like we anticipate the story of hope showing up in flesh and blood, the God of the universe fully revealing what he is like and what he is doing, revealing that he's got all of this trouble in his hands and that whatever loneliness and whatever uncertainty and whatever ache, whatever trouble you have, he doesn't just got this, he's got you. Do not be troubled got you. So Christmas, Christmas was when hope in the flesh surprised the whole world. Hope in flesh, embodied, surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present and showing us the way, showing us the truth. 
and showing us this abundant life. And so I offer just this short reflection today um, because I want to extend an invitation to you this morning as we begin this Advent season to simply sit in the hope, the hope that God's made a place for you, that all will be well, and that you can live inside that hope now, to live life, a spirit-filled life now, to live a life aligned with God is to know that you can rest in the Father's invitation and find home in the faithfulness of his love, to believe and to trust that that is where you fit. So 1 John 4.16, I leave you with. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. And so whoever lives in that, lives in that love, whoever lives in that room that God has made space for, for you to come into, whoever lives in love, lives in God and God in them. And so the season of Advent, this period of four weeks leading up to Christmas that is primarily characterized by expectant waiting and preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's a season that we recognize the God that is with us and the hope that is with us. And this deep expectation that we, from God that we might draw near. And so why do we focus on waiting? Why do we wait for the gift that has already come at Christmas? Why do we wait again for the child that's already born? Well, because in the wait, we see the beauty of the gift. And in the wait, we encounter the true presence of the guest. And in the memory of the wait, we know the Savior who has made a room for us, who loves us. So church, I invite you, if you're able, as you come to the communion table, as you take a moment to reflect, to turn to those around you, to pray maybe. My hope is that we as a church can begin this Advent season full of hope. That sort of hope that we talked about two weeks back on Vision Sunday, that childlike hope that church kid-like hope. Grace and peace be with you today.